I just received several one-year anniversary congratulatory notices from friends on LinkedIn on the founding of the Dogger and Muddy Music Show last July. I had been thinking about our show's kickoff. Then bang, I get a bunch of congrats. That's pretty cool. One of the Dogger and Muddy music, i.e. damn show concepts that I had early on, even before our first episode was published last September, was to explore guitar solos within musical genres. So here in the 21st episode of The Damn Show, we will dive into the blues. I've asked Tim Williams, a good friend and excellent guitarist, to help me in this exploration of the blues. His long-ago band, Stud, S-T-U-D, released an album in the 70s that is considered a progressive rock holy grail by many collectors. He can play about anything, and I mean anything. So let's dig into the blues with Tim. One quick note, I have a personal announcement at the end of the show. Amy, crank her up. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? This is great. I'm sitting here with Tim Williams, a good friend of mine. He's somebody that I almost every time I need to dig into an issue on music and understand it better, Tim's one of the people I definitely call on the phone to get some advice and counsel and clarification. Tim has been playing a guitar for, well, we'll ask him exactly the time that he started in in a bit here, but I mean, he's been playing it for a while. Back a few years back, he was in a band called Stud, S-T-U-D, and a few years ago, he called me on the phone. He said, Doug, my album is selling, could sell for $1,999 in Spain. So why don't I throw it to Tim? Why don't you tell us that story about your stud album going that high in price? Well, I'm going to go back a few years. This is really kind of funny because we recorded that album as a rock boogie, progressive, whatever we called ourselves at the time, band. And I was only 16 years old when we recorded it. Wow. So it's not like we were, you know, we were that far much removed from being a garage band. However, we recorded it in the great state of uh, Texas, in Richmond Rosenberg, in a little uh, garage turned into a studio down there. It's outside of Houston, right? It is. It's off of uh, US 59 on the way to Victoria. And uh, uh, that place uh, was run by the Barons, and the Barons was a famous Czech band who turned rock and roll. And a so, Czech band a that turned Czech rock and band, roll? Yeah. Polka, polka, polka. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. And, uh, and then you got the Zydeco music with the yeah, uh, with, with, yeah. down there, too. With the, with, yeah. 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 You know, you got a lot of excellent uh, influences all over that southeastern part of uh part of Texas. And anyway, uh, when we uh, recorded it, they pressed 500 copies. Okay. And 500 copies went out to the general public and to the radio stations. And, of course, we did not get rich and famous, so we didn't get the rich and famous contract. Rats. <laughs> yes. And uh, so uh, dial that back up uh, 40 years, and all of a sudden, 
it's selling again as a collector's item. And I couldn't believe it, but when my bandmates, George Lasher and uh, Paul Aiken, called me up and said, uh, you won't believe this, they're right, I didn't. But went on online, and uh, sure enough, they, I mean, this album price was nineteen ninety nine. Now, we're not talking $19.99. It, it yes, that's right. It had no decimal points. So, obviously, they were collecting albums of Texas rock and boogie bands from the 70s. And we have it. So uh, there are still some there. The uh, uh, manufacturer and the distributor is called Guerson. They actually pressed some more albums. And so my album from 40-plus years ago is back out on the market, and it's just the strangest thing to find out. I love it. it. (laughs) Now, you played with other people. You recorded with other people as well. I did, Give us kind of a rundown. Well, uh, the original uh, artist that sang Rockin' Robin, his name is Round Robin, and played with him him in a number of years uh, as a professional musician, really got to know the nightlife. Through him, also got to to meet a lot of other people, and so we got to meet the Drifters and uh, Charlie Pride, played with him on stage. Did you? Yeah. That's cool. You know... Played with Johnny Taylor in the studio. Johnny Taylor was the disco lady song person at the time and was a, a big hit. And uh, so I did his last CBS album. You know, it was just an interesting time. Working musicians, God love you. It's a hard life. Yeah, I know. You and I both went through our uh, most of our adulthood, you know, making a living on the eight to five kind of route. We did, yeah. yeah. But now we get, and and you're still playing guitar now. In fact, you're going around with a band, Analog, and so uh, all around da- Dallas, Fort Worth. We are great we threesome. Be- we bill ourselves as the Beatles to Blues band, and so we we play it all uh, Americana standards, Beatles blues, Paul Simon. And everything else, but in between, and updated uh, hits as well, and and we're a trio, and it's a whole lot of fun. It's just a whole lot of fun. That's good. All right, we got a nice little history here. What we're going to focus on today, Tim, and he know Tim does know this. I did let him know ahead of time. Thank you. Um, we're going to focus on the blues. Yeah. And uh, Tim's going to be really nice. He's going to play three different blues songs, and we're going to kind of talk through the evolution of these. But Tim, give me your take on. What is the blues, and how did it get started? And that's a great question. And you have to go back to African-American persons who were, they were self-taught. They were working uh, as much as they could, playing in the roadhouses when they could. Right. Uh, They were people like uh, the T-Bone Walkers and even B.B. King and Robert Johnson. And they took the guitar, and they just pounded away at it, just trying to figure out how to do it and learning how to tune their instruments. And so out of that, a lot of the uh, gospel music and spiritual music and things like that that influenced a lot of that moved the blues into that direction, out out of a vocal thing into a one guitar thing, into a band thing eventually with, yes. you know, a, uh, an acoustic bass or, you know, bass fiddle and uh, drums and horns and piano and guitar. Right. And so it's the guitar that uh, we're talking about really more today and how it got involved. So a lot of these artists played just with a guitar and their guitar was their band and they could easily take it and hit the road. Uh, Which like, they did. They did. 
they hit the crossroads. As, they, a, matter as a matter of fact, they did. That's yeah. correct. They did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they walked the roads. And as I learned, having been to Dockery Farms right. in Mississippi, I mean, the railroad railroad track came right up to Dockery Farms. Yes. And so when Charlie Patton or Robert Johnson would play there, maybe the next morning or maybe at three in the morning or whatever, they'd get themselves in position so that they could hop on the train. Yeah. yeah. And then... I think 24 hours later, I think it was, they'd be in Chicago. Yes. And they actually made very good money. Yeah. And, and it was kind of a. I always I asked once, did they ever have to worry about being, you know, they, they were carrying cash with them everywhere they went. And history says that most of them got, fi- got by all right. You know, they spent their money. Oh, they yeah. spent their money. Yeah. But most of the time, they got left alone. Yeah, living in that... Uh, and working uh, in that kind of environment certainly wasn't conducive to safety. Yes. And so they really had to take care of themselves. It was a rough life. We can uh, kind of relate to it more from the Great Depression and how folks, once they lost everything, yeah. they really had to ca- learn how to find ways of hanging on to whatever they had. That included your guitar, how to hold on to it and how to keep it strong. Yeah. Because if you broke a string, you were out of luck. You know, you'd have to go skin a cat somewhere. True, <laughs> <laughs> possibly. They, yeah. di- they didn't have a tone shop or a guitar center just around the corner. And if they did, they, you know, they had to have the cash to get that. So it was interesting. They, they weren't the New York Philharmonic. They weren't, you know, right. these were seriously, uh, we were talking about it on the phone, these country blues. Yeah. And they influenced American music. So, so very, very much. Uh, One of the things uh, music lovers can relate to is is that the blues hammered home what I call the dominant seventh chord. Okay. Okay. So if you're playing an E, it's an E with a D on it, and it makes it sound like it's bluesy. It's a change. It's always in change. It's always in flux. That is so cool. And who took that to the next level was George Gershwin in all of his symphonies. Oh. And and he used that sound because it was the working man's sound. It wasn't he could hear what they were doing with the blues and move it to what was happening with the workers in the manufacturing cities. And that same kind of sound, that same kind of feel, it fit. And he could write that if you listen to what he's he's doing. Porgy and Bess, for instance, great example of what the blues and the gospel and the, and the spirituals, and he culminated all of that. So you can even slip George Gershwin in there as a great blues man. The chromatic scale. Yeah. You, you, the, what I would assume what you're talking about is via the chromatic scale, which is okay to do within the blues, you're going to have notes that don't necessarily sound right. There's going to generate some tension, but then you always have to know what to get to to release that tension, and the yeah. blues is phenomenal. Yeah, and you, you're if if you're a jazz mu- musician, you call it your passing tones and your passing chords. Right, and they do that; they move you from one point of the song into the next, and that's their whole point. So you know they were doing this without the music theory. They were figuring this out all on their own just by laying their hands and their fingers onto the fretboards and listening to it and singing it it and coming up and developing the vocal lyrics to go along with their songs. And the lyrics are always very, very simple. Right. Uh, You know, it's two phrases of the same 
phrase, and then you wrap it up to wrap up those phrases together. That's right. your verse. And then you do another verse just like it. So there's no choruses there or no bridge. There's <laughs> it's two lines and another line, and that's your verse, and you do about five of those. Well, many times there'd be a song that in in a sense would be passed from artist to artist. Right. So it'd be named this for Muddy Waters. Right. Then then Bo Diddley do a different basically do the same song, change the words, maybe change a little bit here or there, and all, then it would be something else. Yes. You know? Yes. And you know a lot of artists did that so that they could get out of the copyrights and having to pay somebody the royalties. So they could <laughs> claim that they wrote it a little bit differently. I love it. Well with that said Let's talk about our fir- the first song you're going to play for me, right? Uh, which is a Robert Johnson song. Absolutely. Tell me about it. And the Crossroads was one of those things. He, you know, he, that's his famous legend that he came to the Crossroads, right. uh, and there were thousands of Crossroads in Mississippi, and that's where he came to a, allegedly have a deal with the devil, who taught him how to play the guitar and got him on the road to to success and to freedom and to a living, and he. Came to Dallas a little bit later on, a few months later, and he cut that album, and the birth was done. Been going forward ever since. Well, I remember we were talking earlier about it. How, uh, Keith, they asked Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones yeah. once what, what he thought about when he first time he heard Robert Johnson, what he thought. And he said, how many people are playing this thing? Because it, it just sounds like there's two or three guitarists going after this because he's got the bass riff going, he's got the... Uh, the slide. He's got the finger picking. He's got he's got everything going within this one two sets of hands. And I'm really glad you brought that up because he carried his band with him. It, that guitar was his band. It was the drums. It was the piano. It was the bass, and it was the guitar. And his vocals added the the melody on top of it. And so that's how that interwove all together, just to give you one instrument and one man singing one song. All right. Tim's going to set up here. And we're going to let him, in a sense, we're going back pretty far to one of the key figures in really launching the blues, Robert Johnson. And let's hear Crossroad Blues. Tim? Great, thank you. Now, what what did you 
what did you play for? I think you're going to play three different instruments for these three different yeah. blues songs. So what what did you play, and why did you why did you play that? You know, that's it's an interesting thing because uh, what he played was an archtop guitar, and uh, it it didn't project tremendously. But what I used was a uh, folks. It's a baby Taylor, the little mini baby Taylor. And what's interesting about that guitar is it's got a rounded back and it's laminated wood, and the roundness kind of mimics a uh, 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 national guitar uh, with a diaphragm in and just gives you a little bit extra volume. So it's really kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's and, what I used on that song. And for our listeners, a, a couple shows ago, Jim Suler was on. Yeah. He played a national. He did. And I believe one of the things he either, I think he mentioned during the show, maybe it was after the show, but it, we were talking earlier about it being tough out there. The national could be used in a sense as a weapon. <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah. it's solid steel. It right? absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. Get it, better get out of the way for that one. It'll I'll give you, you a headache yeah. if you get in the way of that. <laughs> All right. That was fantastic. So, Tim, let's, let's now zoom forward 30 years. Yeah. To really one of the gentlemen that introduced me to Robert Johnson. Yeah. I mean, when I was listening to music early on, I didn't know about Robert Johnson, but Eric Clapton and Keith Richards and Brian Jones and these guys, those were the ones who told us about that. And like I mentioned, 30 years ago, 30 years after Robert recorded it, Eric Clapton recorded it. Yeah. And it's really interesting. You bring up all those people that blues were introduced to British and other Europeans, yeah. and they captured that song and that style uh, much faster than we did. And then once they started doing it, and let's face it, you know, we saw them and we said, "Oh, they're getting all the girls." So <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. all the musicians said, uh, "The guy musicians, anyway, we've got to change our style, you know, to play more rhythm and blues and and soul." And so it did. It really reached out, and of course, Eric Clapton and Cream did a wonderful job of this particular song from your perspective how did they change it ah good pro- question they approached it obviously very well number one there's more than one person this time around right but it's a totally different sound yes it is and they put more of a, a ginger baker just is kicking the hell out of that drums and it's just so fantastic he's got a special beat that he's doing and it's not just robert johnson did the country blues then ginger baker's doom you know, kind of a and, jazz feel. Yeah, it was more of a jazz feel, so we have the influence and the growth and the transition of the blues in with that. Now you add also the electric guitar and the electric bass. And top of that, when Robert Johnson sang the song, he, was, he wasn't pure with the melody each and every time. Each time he sang it was a little bit different. And when you hear Eric Clapton singing it, it's much more standardized. The melody is pretty much the same verse to verse to verse. He keeps the same meter, the same emphasis on each uh, uh, measure that comes along of the melody. It's and that he made it more popularized, if you will. Yeah. Kind of like Elvis did when he sang it, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. Right. You know, took it from Mama Thor- Thornton. So, yep, you know, absolutely. Yeah took the black people's music and made it comfortable to the whites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Popularized it, definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, if I remember right, I believe both Ginger and Jack came from jazz bands. Yes, they did. They did. And a lot of people uh, over there in England uh, developed from jazz bands 
or skill bands or, or some other kind of music because rock and roll really wasn't kind of like when the Beatles got together. It really wasn't, uh, they weren't ready for it. Uh, and they had, to, they had to find out through the blues how to sing these types of songs. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones who really studied him was obviously Mick Jagger. I mean, he, he yes. really studied hard. Yeah, I was to, watching. And create his own style and et cetera. Go, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was watching a, a Crossfire Hurricane uh, documentary yeah. on, the Blue, on the Stones. And, and my God, number one, how could they take all those substances and, number, <laughs> and still be alive? And number two, uh, they really went to capture that song, that Howlin' Wolf, the Muddy Waters, all the northern types of blues yeah. that came up from the south. So, uh, yeah, they, they encapsulized it and, and brought it to radio. They brought it to, let's face it, white teenagers. Right. And it changed the world. Oh, yeah. It helped to change culture. It's just funny how generations change their attitudes and, their, and accept things that they didn't, uh, maybe previous generations didn't accept. Uh, we're learning how to do that now. Yeah, music was important. Was it an, was an imp- important gateway to connect different people. Yes, yes. Yeah. And we hope it continues to do so. I, I think it is. Damn right. <laughs> what you? What are you? Oh, you're gonna play the strat here. I'm right? gonna play the strat here. Which is what? Which is what Eric's gonna play? Yes, play it too. is. Yes, yeah. it is. This is uh, just through a mesa amp, a little bit of a fuzz tone, a little bit on my effects box. Anyway, uh, we're gonna play it, and I hope you like it, Joe. Uh, you, there. You got it. Here we go, Tim. Set up and take off. Okay. Two, three, Thank you so much, Tim. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, it takes me back to when I first heard it. And by the way, folks, he's doing this without any rhythm section behind him. So one of the things lead guitarists like is they like a bass player and a drummer behind him because it's their job to keep the beat. So Tim did this in his head, and he did a hell of a good job. Thanks a lot. I want to say something about that before we move on to the next one because uh, the difference between blues and jazz is really important. And when rock came along, it kind of fused them all together. Talk about fusion. Yeah. Okay. And, and I heard Jim talking about it a few weeks ago. About, Jim Suler. Yeah. 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 About the collaboration when people are taking solos on the guitar. I loved what he had to say. You know, it's not just doing lines and doing lines and doing lines. 
uh, it really has to, it's more of a conversation. And I love that analogy because in jazz, for instance, everybody supports whoever's doing a solo. If it's horn, if it's guitar, if it's it's organ, it doesn't matter. But you saw, and then they come together and they'll do solos together. And even when they do that, they fuse together. Now in the blues, it came from one person doing the solos and the back and the rhythm and and everything, and then went on to be a band. For instance, BB King over here went with a big band, and everybody would support him so that he was the star all the time and god bless uh, bb he brought us out he really made the blues classy yes yeah he took it to a do- totally different level of which uh, a lot of other people paved the way for him to do that so i think that when we talk about the next band we're going to see that even more about how each person who takes a solo when they play theirs Everybody supports, they come down in volume or they rise up very tenderly to wherever the solo guitarist is leading them to. Yeah, yeah, it is a team. To me, what I was saying to somebody earlier is teamwork is a band, one of the ultimate teams. You've got to be on the same page and respectful of each other as you go Absolutely. through the song. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So you hinted we're going to move to somebody else, and we are. We're gonna, this time we're going to head down to Florida. Yeah. Uh, the gentleman that you're going to uh, compliment via your playing uh, was a gentleman by the name of Dwayne Allman. Yes. Uh, one connection, interestingly enough, he's the one that wrote the opening to Layla. And so there's definitely a connection there. And those two, from what I've read, yes. it was like they were like brothers within minutes and when they got together down at uh, Muscle Shoals. Muscle Shoals. To record yeah. that. Yeah. And they they complimented each other. And Dwayne actually taught Eric how to play the slide guitar. Ah. You know, and so there are some excellent, excellent things to listen to when you listen to that album from Layla about the influence. Dwayne coming from the South, it would... He was such a fantastic, not just guitarist, and of course his links. I'll link him to uh, Derek Trucks, who's yes, the absolutely god of slide guitar and just the one hell of a guitarist. So you can hear that influence continue on a, up into these generations. But the South definitely boiled in. So when you listen to the Allman Brothers, you're hearing not just rock and not just blues, but you're hearing country and you're hearing jazz influences and on occasion when you hear the kettle drum you're hearing a symphony so it's really a huge huge conglomeration mashup talk about fusion yeah Uh, yeah yeah and these guys really birthed uh what's called southern rock but they they were so much more deep than that to me they stand alone yeah it's just i I listen to the other southern rockers and there's some great music absolutely but whenever i hear a few notes from one of the Ulmer brothers songs it's just like Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I'm home now. I'm home. I want to say something about Dwayne really quickly because he played for a lot of great uh, African-American artists. Uh, Wilson Pickett, for instance. Yeah, he played at Muscle Shoals. Yeah. He worked at Muscle Shoals. Yeah, and he was a working musician. He learned how to play those songs and how to play the, the music that had soul to it. And oh, my God, he did such a great job of it. Yeah, I love it. So 
gonna play their version of Stormy Monday. Yes. Which historically goes way back in the blues annals. From that, that song was created way back in what the 1920s. I guess? Yes, it was, and and brought up, and T Bone Walker made it famous. But again, it's one of those copyright things. Somebody wrote it a little bit differently. Elmer James would play it, and all these other people would play it, and kind of got taken away. You can hear it on the live Fillmore to uh, live at Fillmore East album that uh, they give homage to T-Bone. So. Well, to me, that's still one of the best live albums ever put out. And in my impression, I would guess it still sells very, very well. It's yeah. one of the best albums ever put out there. It really is. So we've done Crossroads Blues. We've done Crossroads. Anything specific that our listeners should be listening for when we do Stormy yeah. Monday? Uh, there's uh, two verses kind of in the 6-8. Uh, and then it goes into a 6-8 jazz waltz. And that's uh, I'm playing more chords there. It's a little bit less lead guitar, but I want you all to hear. During the live album, it was actually Greg Allman's uh, turn to kick a solo off there. And you listen to the live album, and he's playing that jazz uh, organ solo over the jazz waltz. And he just kicks it. And the rest of the band is right there supporting him and that's what's so cool you know you listen to sports teams and that's what it's all about it's coming together as a team everybody's supporting each other yeah i'll take a football analogy not everybody gets to touch the football on every play you know right yeah the blockers have to block everybody's got a role to play and so if somebody misses a step and uh, then the whole thing can collapse and you lose the ball so same thing when you're taking a solo uh, everybody's got to be supporting you. They can't be over off in the corner doing their own thing. It just doesn't work. Well, the other thing about the Allman Brothers to me, which I'm sure there's other bands that have done it, but to me, I'm going to use the term harmony. Yeah. I and mean, when Dickie Betts and Dwayne yeah. Allman are playing this, basically playing the same thing or one's in harmony to the other one. Yes, or, yes. I mean, that, that's just mind-boggling yes. to me. Yes. And again, you know, we're not talking about uh, musicians who went to school to learn music theory. They figured this out on their own by just playing together for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and and figuring out, and and they were just fantastic guitarists. Here's here's a weird story I heard from somebody that Dwayne had a special skill with his toe. When he was was learning songs, he could lift the arm of the turntable and put it back to the beginning of the song so he could start playing it again with his guitar and just keep going over. And uh, the story goes that, I mean, he wore out the grooves in many an album. He's just lifting that arm and bringing it back. Okay, I want to hear that one more time. So we're not only ambidextrous. That's right. We're tobidextrous. Tobidextrous. <laughs> All right. I love it. So let's wander into the Allman Brothers. So, Tim, uh, oh, and what are you, you going to play? What instrument are you going to play on this okay, one? Okay. This one is a, a Taylor guitar. It's a 700 series, Rosewood back and sides, and uh, Lutz Spruce Top. And I absolutely, this is my workhorse. Is it? Acoustic. Yeah. Yeah. I had to put uh, my other one aside because it became valuable all of a sudden. And so uh, um, I, I didn't want to put it out in the heat, in this Texas heat and humidity. So this one is uh, the Taylor 714. All right, Tim. Let's set up and let's listen, listen to the Allman Brothers. I'm going to kick this off with the famous flatted ninth, seventh chord that makes it so special. I love it. Whenever you're ready, sir. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks, Tim. Oh, yeah. What's nice is we did an abbreviated <laughs> kind of musical flow with the guitar through somewhat of the history of the blues. Right, right. And I guess the big question is, what what do we want people to know coming out of this or re- rethink what they, what they need to have in mind? Uh, I want to take them from today, and we're going to go backwards for just a moment. Uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce are coming out with a brand new album. Yeah, that's yeah, true. The Carters. I love it. I think that's so wonderful, and their music is so good. It's so fantastic. You take that music that's happening from there, you take the Dadeshi Trucks band, you take yes. the bands that are doing their stuff now, John Mayer, all these all these great artists. Yeah. Uh Bruno Mars, all the all the wonderful people. You take it back and you go back a few years and there was the Almond Brothers band and they, and there was Eric Clapton and Cream and you go back and there's Elmore James and there's Steve Bone Walker and there's BB King and all these folks that have uh, grew out of something that was called the blues that started this American craze uh, for the music because people were craving for the not just folk music, not just country music, not just uh, pure orchestra or something that was just played on the piano, but to come down to a very, very simple but powerful thing with one guy standing at the crossroads. U.S. 49 and U.S. 61. <laughs> yeah. One of the key important rules of, of the blues, which is also why our, sh- our show primarily focuses on the blues, outlaw country, and Americana, is the story. And we talked about the story that the guitar tells. Right. But to me, a lot of this music, always there's always words that tell a great story. And that's, that's what it's, it's the it's the music, it's the lyrics, it's the genuineness of this music that I really love. Yeah. It, it's the... Artists really bearing their soul. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, it's something to be said for getting up on stage or in a roadhouse or in your backyard or on the porch and just singing from the heart. And you can tell when somebody is. And these folks really did. These these bands of brothers, if you will, the, the, these, these blues guys uh, really sang it from the heart because they were... B.B. King said it once, you sing the blues to feel happy. Yeah. You, you, it, it's the opposite, you know. It's not minor drag-down music, minor key, that is. It really has to do with uplifting. And I think that came out of the spirituals. I think it came out of hymns. I think it came out of gospel music. I think it all, again, was a mashup that led to uh, when somebody who couldn't afford to be in a big band or didn't have friends to be in a big band or didn't couldn't find people to be in a larger group. They had to do it themselves. And you figured it out, and the guitar just translated into the band on my back that I could take with me. I love it. I know I asked you to play three songs. One guy we left out, though, which yes, we, we got to cover, is Stevie Ray, right? Absolutely. All right. Can you take us out with some Stevie Ray? This is Pride and Joy. It goes out to my wife. I love it. Bye. Bye. Tim, thank you so much. You have a great day, and we're going to have you back soon. See you later. Bye. Pride and joy. Two, three, four.
That, my friends, was fun. I love digging into the different aspects of music. Remember the Dogger and Muddy Music Show, Damn Show, focuses on the blues, outlaw country, and Americana music. So don't be surprised when we bring back Tim and other artists to dig deeper into these three genres and more. Hey, do you know how a podcast like The Damn Show can miss a weekly release? How about a power transformer located about 30 yards from your house blows? This bang and darkness led to four days of challenges. Getting the power back on and this heat was not fun. Replacing the fried internet cables, and believe me, they were fried. <laughs> Getting the computer up and operating in a manner that would let us produce a podcast and other oddities all took place. So if you ask me why no damn show the week of July 4th, well, the consequences of a power outage is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, at the beginning of the show, I said I have a personal announcement. In, actual, in actuality, I hope this is an announcement slash reminder to each of you to see your doctor yearly. The good news is that I should be around for a long time, and that's because at the end of July, I will start taking radiation treatments for prostate cancer five days a week for two months. According to my doctor, if I did nothing and just let it go, I'd be around for another 10 years. But by attacking it with radiation now, I should be around well into my 80s or 90s. That is unless uh, a bus has something to say about it. I decided to bring it up to you, my listeners, because not too many years back, if you heard you had prostate cancer, it was received as a very quick death sentence. Science and medical studies have come a long way. If it is all right with you, over the next few months, I will update you on this whole process. The reason being, it will, number one, ease your fear of the disease. Number two, prompt you to see your doctor regularly. And number three, be therapeutic for me. So thanks. So in closing, please remember that Louis Grizzard once said, don't bend over in the garden, Granny. You know them taters got eyes. So y'all take care. Let's talk again soon. For ongoing updates, follow Dogger and Muddy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Till next time, adios. I cannot feel or speak. Punches underwater. Drifting in the open sea. Or is this a dream? I cannot see or believe. Trust is to falter and to taste to receive. Is this a dream? I won't hurt.